I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Welcome to another edition of the Lost Words podcast. Slightly different podcast today, Jason. Not our usual uh, betting podcast. Back to the interviews. And uh, we're joined by Ross Spurgeon, a uh, golf coach here in Essex. Ross, nice to meet you. Evening, guys. How are we all doing? Yeah, really well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Ross, we're just, you know, we're interested in perspective of, you know, a golf coach. I mean, we've spoken to some players, we've spoken to caddies, different people in different walks of life and 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 you're probably the first golf coach that we've had on uh, as such you know we've had some caddies that like doing coaching we've had some players that got into coaching we never had an actual just a golf coach that, that you know that is a full focus full time um so so first of all just give us a little bit of a background as to how you got into coaching how you started in golf as a, as a young player and sort of where that took you yeah great yeah um got into coaching about I've been coaching nearly 10 years now. It's, uh, it's gone very quickly. Um, I guess when you speak to any, I think if any golf coach was honest with you, like they're a coach because they're a failed player. I think um, my dream was always to become a European tour player or a PGA tour player, but um, I've took the coaching route and actually, to be really honest, I actually enjoy it as much, a lot more than I think I would have been than playing. It's, um, it's worked out really well. Um, I got into golf when I was, you know, Pretty young. My dad got me into golf. We, we was uh, we used to go over have a nazing golf club, which is on the Hearts Essex border. We used to, I got they did an incentive. They give uh, any adult member had their um, their children had free membership. Yeah. So that was kind of uh, how it all it come along, and I I just got the bug really quickly and and fell in love with it really. So so was your dad a, a good player? Was he just a you know just your average run in the mill sort of club golf player, or was he was he was he a good standard or? Yeah, I mean, like his claim to fame, he was, he was a single-figure golfer for I think about a week. <laughs> he got down to nine, and was low, but he, he floated between ten and twelve most of his uh, his golfing. Um, he doesn't actually play anymore, but he um, yeah, he was back, he was okay. I mean, he could break eighty, yeah, eighty a few times, but he was um, mainly like low eighties. He'd score. Yeah, and, and and I like what you said there, Ross, about if if most golf coaches are honest with themselves, um, they're kind of failed players because. There'll be some that will go out there and just say, you know, I, I always wanted to be a golf coach and that was always the plan. There's some that, that knew from the very, very beginning that they were good enough to get down to the, the sort of four or five that you need to get onto the PJ and that was about it. But there yeah. are, you know, a large percentage of you guys that, that did, you know, want to play on the European Tour. And, you know, you, you grew up watching, you know, whoever, whoever you grew up watching, a lot of people say Tiger Woods, but obviously in terms of European golf, you'd have had sort of like Colin McGonagall, Nick Faldo, people like that, um, that you really enjoyed watching. And that's obviously a name. I mean, I, I worked with someone who was caddying on the European Tour for, for a little while and, you know, because he didn't quite get through Q school and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's really tough, isn't it, to, I guess... I guess there comes a point where, because I think there's still people now that you would look at them, they, they've probably left it too late to get into a really good coaching role because they've tried way too long to play. Do you know what I mean? I think some people take a really long time to let it go. And by what you're saying, you've been doing the coaching for 10 years now. So I think you probably made that, made yeah. that jump quite quickly and, and realised. If I was really honest, I reckon I probably hanged around playing a little bit, probably a year, maybe too, too long. I mean, I'm looking back on... Like, I always look for results out for friends and even on like lower tours and stuff. I'm still seeing like names that you know, I was playing them sort of lower ranked tour events with, and I was thinking, I'm thinking, Christ Jesus, like 
surely the uh, penny's going to drop soon. I yeah. Think. If you look at all like the, and I've picked a few names out like um, I don't, uh, Laurie Cantor, um, Andrew Johnson, Eddie Peverell, Tom Lewis, they they use those those like uh, Euro Pro, Jamiga, they're they're on near a year absolute max. Yeah. And I, I think if you're become a veteran on one of those uh, those tours, you probably haven't got to you have, probably haven't got where it takes unfortunately. But, um, oh, sorry. Saying that like the standard. I mean, I coach a lad who's, I think he's got massive amounts of talent and ability. And I'm like, in that session, I'm thinking, Christ, I'm glad this isn't me now. Because I, <laughs> I know the standard is just unbelievable. You know, you look at the highest level, I mean, Cameron Smith, 34 under par, like two weeks ago. I mean, that's scary. That's mm. it's a birdie like every two and a half holes. That's just like... Yeah, it's ludicrous, isn't it? It is ludicrous, ludicrous. I was listening to, um, I think it was, a, it's actually another, another podcast, and they had someone, I can't remember who it was, they had, um, actually, Jace, I think you were telling me about it. The, um, they had someone on there who had, um, he'd played in the event, and he played a practice round with my, maybe his dad or uh, one of his friends who was like a single-figure handicap. And that golf course destroyed him. It's like, wouldn't have broken 100. And he's gone around 34 under par, I mean... I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think I, can't, I think that was. It might have been Joel Damon that that, that did that. I think it, it might have been Joel Damon that played with his dad and one of his friends. I think that went around there and he went around in, in you know, struggling. I think the weather was a bit tougher, but it is ridiculous. I think this is the thing, Russ, right? That we are accustomed to seeing these ridiculous scores on the European Tour, on the PGA Tour, and just thinking, well, the golf courses are so easy they're set up for birdies and, and they're not like that they are for them but they're not for the everyday player are they and, and even you know even someone like yourself as good as you are wouldn't go and shoot you wouldn't even get to 25 under par you wouldn't get to 20 under par you know there was golfers at the bottom end of that leaderboard that were 14 15 under par so there is a different switch and a different level i think after um, day le- level i think after day one four under was last yeah yeah. yeah go on jace well, I was going to say, I mean, we're always, there's a few things, actually, Ross, from what you just said. First thing is you said that um, uh, kids' membership was free at um, um, the course when you grew up. Um, and I spoke to you again a couple of weeks ago. I wrote a report about um, Little Falls Golf Club in Minnesota that right. decided to um, get rid of their $200 junior membership fee and allow everybody under 18 to play completely free. That's membership, green fee, everything. Um that's the sort of thing that has to encourage the young to come through. I know golf's on a, on a massive boom at the moment anyway, mm. but that type of thing has to encourage people, doesn't it? You know, um, you can then take your little kids along and, and, and they, they will join the club and they will stay with the club like they do when they play football, when they play rugby or anything like that because it doesn't cost anything. And it's, it's no. an expensive thing. I mean, is that, is that something that you think um, perhaps should be, should be looked at in a far wider, uh, wider circle? Yeah, I mean, like in an ideal world, you'd you'd do that. I think what you got to maybe appreciate is that sometimes it's a it's someone who owns a golf club, and sometimes it's like my golf club where I grew up at, uh, West Essex, the members' golf club. So the members own the club, members make the decisions. Um, they've got to look at it from a business point of view as well. But like, in, I mean, that is just unbelievable what they did. But you know, that yeah, like I say, in an ideal world, that would happen. But because you've got to do, you've got to do more. I think for um, not in just not just in golf, in other sports to get, you know, kids playing sport, 
you know, take them off the streets in, in certain certain situations. I think sport can be such a, a great thing in those thing in those situations, really. So you don't have, you don't have. Sorry, Tom, you don't have golf lessons in schools, do you? Um, I mean, you don't have to all buy, a, you know, a set of tailor-mades or Cobras or anything like that. But you don't have that, do you? It's, it's very no, I mean, encouragement it's... in schools in this country to, to take the sport up. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one, obviously, because you can't actually use, like, the equipment would be at a school would be a, a little bit of a sticking point. But I used to do quite a bit of coaching in when I first started. Um, when I was at Chapel Heath, I used to go around the local schools. We had, like, a tri-golf kit and a, a what was called snag starting new at golf. We had, like, a plastic clubs um like use tennis balls so we used to i mean we did we had quite a big um push on that when um when i first started there that was like god nearly 10 i'd like, say 10 years ago it was my first coaching role um but i'll be honest like it, it it fell on it didn't it didn't really work to be honest i mean i, I don't know why we, we put a lot of effort into it put a lot of money into it, our own money like at the time but it didn't really work for one reason or the other i think i think the thing we've so for me, that the way I look at it, so I, I used to do a bit of football coaching, and you go into a school, right? And, and football, football is a very inexpensive sport, which is why you see so many kids get into it at weekends. You know, once you've bought your boots for the season or whatever, you you got your match subs or whatever. But yeah. other than that, it's it's at the the entry gate, the gate of entry into football and rugby and things like that is, is far less than golf. Um, yeah. You said there, obviously, you were really lucky growing up that you got a free child membership, but that's because obviously. Your dad had an adult membership, right? So not everyone's yeah. dad can afford a membership. So um, it is what it is. Like I completely, absolutely take on your point in terms of, um, you know, golf clubs are businesses, right? I'm not going to sit here and say that I'd give away loads of money if I had it because you, can't, you, you literally can't. You have to do things that make economic sense. I think there probably could be more done... Not by no, not by individuals. I'm not saying so. Ross, you should go into a school and give up three hours of your time during a day because that's a you know I don't, I don't know what you charge per hour for a golf lesson, but that could be 180 pounds worth of your time. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that's that's a lot for one individual to ask. But I think as a collective, like England golf and and the yeah. government and things like that could probably do a little bit more to encourage in schools. I think the other aspect, and certainly for me, I, I have no natural ability at golf whatsoever. So if I was at school. And I was trying to hit a golf ball, and I couldn't do it within five minutes. I would just drop, and that would that would be the end of it. And I think with football, anyone can kind of kick a football and kind of get away with it, and you can kind of run around and avoid the football for five minutes if you really want to. Whereas if you're stood on a on a mat or you know or a tee or whatever, and just trying to hit balls and you can't do it, I guess that would be where kids could lose interest quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly challenging game, isn't it? I mean. Mm. Um... I think sometimes you have to take that. If you look at like, I think before before COVID, golf was probably well, certainly wasn't on the incline it is now. Um, no. And I would say if you did a survey on people that may have tried golf and not not um, took up like a membership or carried on playing, I would say the main reason would be difficulty. Yeah, I mean it's it's the only sport right where you have to kind of well where you've got to manipulate the ball so much like football the ball's coming at you you've got to do the right thing with it etc but you've got to completely move this ball on your own it's all depends on your hand-eye coordination yeah, your like... swing like there's so much to it jason isn't there that, that it's such a difficult sport yeah. if you're just not you, naturally you can't hide can you individual sports you can't hide um 
And and you watch, I mean, again, I don't care about football. I know Ross is probably on teletext now looking at the Tottenham result or whatever. <laughs> He's not that old, is he? Teletext. Yeah, I told you. Um, <laughs> um, and, and like you say, if you watch somebody tackle a player as a football match, you can do the same at that level in your game, yeah? My oh, eight-year-old, I've just brought my eight-year-old back from training. He can do the same against another eight-year-old. On golf, you watch Tommy Fleetwood, whoever you want to watch, yeah? And you're, you're going to struggle to repeat that, you know? And it's an awful process and an awful lot of work to, to get to... I mean, I'm not saying that level, obviously. But even to go to your local course and start hitting par fours. You know, it is a difficult thing to do. And, yeah. and it's a four-hour round when you're, you're behind the cab drivers and that. Hmm. <laughs> I, I, I think... For me, like even at 28 years of age, I find it I find it challenging enough and frustrating enough that I can certainly see why kids become disinterested. But aside from all that, Ross, like once you've got someone that's engaged and ready to be coached and is coachable, how much of it do you think can be taught? Do you know, do you know how much? Do you know what I mean? In the sense that can you take someone completely, um, I wouldn't say useless, but completely unnatural at the game of golf and get them to a standard where they can shoot 15 over let's say yeah i mean i'll be honest like i've had a i had a guy come in a few months ago and i was i was like oh, christ i'm not going to start here it's not it's not like how, how bad they might swing it i find it i think sometimes other coaches might agree with me when someone's really coordinated poorly that's that's the biggest challenge and mm. i think like to answer your question um, that something like that that gives me like a bit of a buzz because I think Christ, I could, if I can turn this around, this is going to be it should be a good one. Um, so yeah, I think I think anyone can get to a certain standard where they could get you know under a hundred or something like that. I think if, if if you had someone like I've described like who was poorly coordinated, bad ability, um, or say poor skill level, um, I, yeah, I, I feel like you could get them scoring around a hundred or under definitely. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? So, I, I've had the same thing. Like, I, I, to me, like, it is just so unnatural. But I think that was from I started at a really late age, and then I just tried to go at it and try and just replicate what other people were doing rather than learning anything. So you just get into a bunch of really bad habits. Your body movements are all wrong. Um, you know, you try and fix it by doing what your mate is telling you on a golf course who's completely unqualified to tell you what to do. Um, and all of a sudden, you go to a golf coach and they go, right, well, this is like... I think it's so much easier. I don't know how you find it, but is it, is it each easier to coach a four-, five-, six-year-old when, when you know that they're just completely starting from fresh and it is to teach a completely useless 28-year-old adult? Um, oh, I don't know. I mean... <laughs> I think a kid would probably be a bit easier, to be honest, because yeah. a bit more of a sponge. You know, he's got no bad habits or something. And he's, yeah, I would say a kid would probably be a little bit easy, easier. A six-year-old, maybe not. Maybe like a twelve-year-old, twelve, thirteen-year-old would be a bit of um, would be a bit easier. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and that, that's the thing for me is I, I I do just think that you know one I think that kids are just generally more responsive. Uh, and you know, up to the age of ten, eleven, you know, they they kind of pick things up and soak things in, um, you know, pretty well. But again, they just haven't got those bad habits, um, and and that's the main thing that we kind of look out for. So that that's that one answer to that. Ross, when when you think about your 
own playing career now mm-hmm. um, and how you were as a young player do you look back at anything and think oh, i could have done that differently and it could have been a different story or do you think that you know you, you are where you are and, and that was probably what you were destined to be um yeah i think so i think like i think two i've got a couple of like things i think back i think oh, maybe if i'd have done that i'd like i wish i'd gone to america to be honest i wish i'd yeah. gone and done, um and it's not only like the the golf I would have been exposed to like the education and the it's not um i think in america it's, i think they've got it perfectly it's like if you if you if your school grades aren't up you you, you can't play in the team so it's, it's so very incentivized to do well at school i think that's i would advise all young kids to try and do something like that if they want to do get into golf a bit more maybe even look at playing professionally i would definitely advise to look into that um i would say for me personally i would being a coach as well, this is going to come out a bit funny. <laughs> I was probably overcoached. I literally, you know, I had too much going on. I'd like go to Essex training, for example. I'd have my own coach. That coach would say something different. I was lucky enough to be in like the England boys set up and then it'd have a selection of coaches there and they'd say, do this, do that. I think it got to a stage like when I was 16, 17, where I like, blimey like <laughs> i used to just play and hit the ball like now i've got to think yeah about, i've got to think about all these things um, and, and i think that's the thing right so i think in terms of like football you get like different managers giving you different instructions say at let's say you played for a local sunday or saturday team but you're actually in the academy at, at fulham or, or whatever like that you'd get different messages from them but all in all like what you're good at is what you're good at and you're generally that will translate but if you've got an England boys coach trying to think sort of sort something out in your swing that your other coach doesn't see one on one or doesn't like that change. You're you're getting such mixed messages, I suppose, that you have no idea and, and all like it's all on your swing and all your manipulation that you can't just kind of get through it naturally yourself. Yeah, it, yeah, I think it got to a stage at one point where it was getting a bit too much. I would I'll go out and say this though, I think it's a lot, lot better now. Yeah. I mean, I coach a couple of lads who are in the one lad in particular who's um, in the Essex like under 14s team, and um, his coach actually the, the coach um, rang me the other day and just talked me through everything. This is what we did. This is how we did it. Um, next time we see him, do you want us to go over anything? I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was yeah. really great communication um, from them. And that's like I think sometimes like coaching is. It's not just about what you're telling someone. It's how you communicate. You could have the best information ever, but if you can't get the, the message across, it's um it will probably go. It, it, you know, it won't won't work. It's um communication is key. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think it's interesting what you said there about it. it's definitely got better and, and and the easier, I guess, in the sense that you know you've had you've had someone give you a call and have a coach to kind of sort of consult you. And I guess is has technology made that easier? You know, you can you can video all your swings. You can send that over into a quick chat. Um, you know things like that. Does that does that make things easier in that respect, or is that a bit of laziness? Like, could this have always just been done? You know, even if it was just over the phone and in person, or is it is it for the fact you can just quickly fire off a, a WhatsApp with with a video of the swing and say this is what we worked on today, and uh, you know anything you want me to anything you want me to add in the next session, etc. Exactly that, Tom. I think, I think um, technology has, has really helped. You know, you can even send you know, I send voice notes to people. You know, do this. Yeah. Do that. Um, yeah, look quick, quick. Vo- amount of times I've had uh, my phone on a tripod and I'm you know, 
shouting out people think I'm mad. I'm just doing a, a video for someone to tell them to <laughs> do X, Y, and Z. It's um, communication. I mean, um, technology is great for that. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the the guy that was uh, was coaching me for a little while, um, you know, he would he would always just literally he would, he would video every single lesson we had. He'd go and walk off and and go and go and talk to what you know looks like he's talking to himself and he's actually just voicing over our lessons you know what we went through and it was great i the biggest obstacle i had ross and, and i don't know if you get this kind of feedback from uh clients yourself but i am fine and i can hit a golf ball when i'm with the golf coach um and i could sit there and hit a seven iron straight and, and it'd be absolutely fine go out on the golf course and just completely forget everything and i know that a little bit of that would be on me because I haven't gone and done enough practice. But there's this. I guess there must be more than just me that goes home and watches back the video and goes, I don't really know how to interpret that. No matter what the coach says to me, no matter the messages they say to me, whatever drills they give me to work on, unless I've got someone sitting there actually telling me what to do and watch me doing it, I find it very, very hard to replicate on my own. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things there that you could that would might help. I mean, I think how you practice is important. I yep. think like, it gets to now, he might be working, doing a technical change of you, and you're just hitting six and seven irons. But you know, when you get on the golf course, you might not hit a six or a seven iron at all. You know, yeah. so how you practice, you know, even like us, I encourage people to to even just play the first couple of holes on the range before you go out, hit a drive, hit a seven iron. You know, don't don't think it's going to be brilliant, but like you know, you, you might miss the green. Just do a little chip shot and then just get in that kind of play mode. But, but I think the above all anything else, uh, Tom, I think the more you put yourself in that situation, you know, you might might make a mug of yourself every now and then, but the more you put yourself in that kind of, you know, playing, you know, that fear, embarrassment, the more you do that, the more you'll get used to it and it, the the embarrassment will get less, don't worry. Oh, yeah, of course. I, I've, I've definitely learned that. I I don't play anywhere near enough to, to expect to be any good. So when I go out there and, and I hit a good shot, it keeps me coming back. Uh, when I don't, I kind of just accept it now as a, as, a, as an older version of myself, I'm still not old enough to say I'm old, but um, as an older version of myself, I, d- I certainly think I've kind of humbled out a bit there. But I wanted to go back to the America stuff, right? You know, you, you said that you wish you'd gone there or you'd have liked to have done that. Uh, one was that, you know, was that a very realistic opportunity for you? And, and, and you mentioned, obviously, the pushing for the grades. I've spoken to a lot of pros that have come through the college system and, the one that always stuck out to me the most was John Peterson and he went to LSU and he said that it wasn't so much the coaching or the playing or anything like that it was just the simple facts of a routine right you, you you're getting up every day at 5 a.m 6 a.m whatever going to do your you know your weights your gym session going to hit the range go and play nine holes then go to class then go and play another nine holes etc and then when you turn pro that's all the onus is all on you to replicate that and if you don't you get into really bad habits and i think that is probably something like you mentioned just a kind of like consistency and the regiment would probably be something that would further people's uh, ability quite quickly yeah i think i mean the standard is obviously i forgot that the standard of golf out there is, is extremely high hmm. very i think as well they you play a lot you're always competing you're always kind of like got a scorecard in your hand and you get used to it you get used to kind of being under pressure and you know building rounds like I call it miles on the clock when I, when I'm talking to people you get you just get used to kind of you know being out there scoring competing I think when you look back at it here like how the UK works you can play your golf season sort of April to September-ish and then yeah you might not have a card in your hand for, for yeah. it's, it's um over there it's like 
every every week competing every week you know you've got three i think they do three round tournaments out there yeah. not four round but like it's i think it's brilliant the way it works out there yeah, and I think I think that even even at the pro level now, like we've spoken to, I spoke to Chris Plazes, went Dale Whitnell, both of them now uh, have bases or somewhere to base themselves in Florida over you know the winter, and you, you kind of see them they come out like firing in January February time because they've actually managed to get some practice in that a lot of English pros don't get. Like you said there, like after September comes, you don't even get out to the course every week because if it's not you know freezing cold and snowing, it's it's wet and really boggy, and I guess it. it how do you i almost think that like we've overachieved with the circumstances we've got in england and the setups because we don't have the college systems we don't have the facilities they have we don't have the weather that they have um and, and that's not a crime a river for england but i think that there is something that to be said for that absolutely i mean if you think the uk has produced some unbelievable players yeah. and they're still, they're still producing great players i remember and there's two or three out there on the tour now, who um, Tommy Fleetwood in particular, when when uh, I was in the England boys under 18s squad, Tommy was in the under 16s. He was better than all of the older. <laughs> he was like, you know, he hit it at that even at that 14, 15, he hit it further, struck it better, straighter. <laughs> Everything, you know, you just there was like when if I think back to that time, there was three lads. You just knew they'd get on tour. Ed, Tom, Tom Lewis, Eddie Pepperell, and Tommy Fleetwood. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and what, Jason? I know you wanted to sort of touch on this, um, and I'll probably let you phrase a question as, as to how you want to go about it. But you were interested in in kind of the difference that you saw in them as opposed to, to maybe Ross himself. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, there, there's a there's a photo up of a 2009 Essex. I think county or county championship, national county championship. And in the photo, obviously there you are, Ross, with Matt Southgate and Dale Whitnell. I know yeah. you know Dale. We've interviewed Dale before. So I mean, you know, let's be brutal with brutal question. Why did Dale Whitnell and Matt Southgate make the tour, and uh, I think the other three didn't? Yeah. I mean, there can't be. There obviously isn't that much in it, but there has to be some. Well, it doesn't have to be a reason, I suppose. But but do you think there is a reason why that happened? Um, I suppose there is a reason. I can't pinpoint it at the moment. I mean, two totally different golfers, by the way. I mean, yeah. Dale Whitner was one of the most in, impressive. Maybe not impressive, but he's probably... I always try and categorise golfers like you're a good hitter, you hit the ball well, and you're a good golfer. Dale Whitnell is... A, very very good golf good 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 hitter like hits it well but he's a unbelievable good scorer yeah. yeah but matthew southgate would take the all to the next level like unbelievable golfer i mean i would say uh, he wouldn't mind me saying this I'll, I'll probably hit it better than him but he is just maybe not quite as far as him but he is an unbelievable golfer he'll get everything out of his game he like if there's a if there's a chance he'd shoot you know 71 he'd shoot 70. He would, you know, he'd never like leave any out there. You know, you can. Go on. Sorry, Sorry, mate. I was going to say very much like we talk about Ian Porter. Um, yeah. You'll, you'll have you'll have a players of a similar natural ability that will still be on. And there's nothing wrong with Europro. Obviously, it's, it's a step, but they'll be on the Europro tour. Or as you say, Jamaica every summer, hacking it around. Hacking it's a bit pushing it. Sorry. Right, finishing thirteenth, 
you know what I mean? And then you have Porter, who, as we've always said, Tom, throughout throughout this yeah. 120 episodes or whatever, Porter just gets every single little thing. Yeah. And that's pushed him on just by doing that, rather than, I think, a latent ability. I mean, yeah, I mean, oh, unbelievable. Yeah, that is, isn't it? That's the epitome of someone who's got every ounce of you know, ability and talent out of himself. You know, he's completely, you know, how much money has he won playing golf? It's, you know, he's good for the game as well. It's like, you always need a story like that. I mean, obviously, four handicap, worked in the shop at Leighton Buzzard, I think. Yep. You know, he's the, um, you know, you get lads doing the PJ now, still harbour hopes probably of playing. He's, you know, he's, they've probably got a post of him on their wall. I'm hoping that that's them one day. Yeah, and, and that's, and that, you know, like Jason said that I think he is, and as you just said, I think he's the epitome. I think he's the ultimate person in terms of getting the best out. And and it's a, I guess it's a, it's hard to say about being disrespectful towards him because he is obviously a very good golfer. Yeah. But he he just doesn't he doesn't hit it as far as anybody else. He doesn't his irons he does he does get hot with his irons sometimes and, and hit some great approaches. But generally speaking, he, he puts the lights out. And yeah. I think he's just his yeah. mental approach is better. Yes. I mean, he yeah. got Ryder Cups just look like if. If you are, maybe not, but you, I think you'd ask most Americans who they wouldn't want to play, probably say Poulter. Yeah. Just because, you know, he, he, he just seems like he's got that, yeah, that he's such a good competitor, isn't he? He's, yeah. I think, because he, he come under flack, didn't he? Uh, it's going, going slightly off topic here, but he come under uh, flack when he uh, was at his pomp and, and wearing Arsenal shirts at, at tournaments and things like that. And, despicable, that is, I think. <laughs> And he said, uh, he said it was basically on his day. It's him and Tiger and nobody else, didn't he? Or something along those yeah. lines. Um, and you have to have that kind of cocksure arrogance, I guess, um, to be yeah. as good as he is when you're not as good as you think you are. I guess um, is is one way of putting it. Do you think that that anything like that, Ross, is is something that you've had? A, you know, you played in England, boys. So you just mentioned Dale Whitnell, Matthew Southgate, it's two people, Tommy Fleetwood. How much more of it from them versus you is talent and between the years and just not letting go of the dream, I guess? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's like, it's so many different things that contribute to a good player, isn't it? And someone who can and uh, you know make it as a, a tournament player. Um, I think, I think if I check categorise him, Matthew Southgate would be the best golfer. Yeah. Like, you put him in that. Like, you'd probably put him in that Poulter bracket. Though. He's like, you know, he's done really well. Uh, he's got everything out about himself. And good luck to him. He's a good kid. Keep yeah. calling him a kid. Good man. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, it, it. It just. I think it. Yeah. We mentioned earlier. Like, how how do you know when is the time to stop pursuing it? And I think that, as you said a little while ago. There are people that hang on too long. You've seen people yeah. on tours, and, and you think, "What are they still doing there?" Um, and and I'm, you know, I don't want to go into your finances at present, but I imagine you do well from being a golf coach. I know from golf coaching and seeing people that do it, how what a career you can make out of that. And you'll make more than the guy that's chasing yeah, the Euro Pro and the Alps tour, won't you? And that's a that's a sensible decision. Here's a good story. Got me. Jason said you got to see if you got any good stories, and I was thinking, Christ, I don't know. I'm, I hope they uh, don't think I'm boring. I haven't got any good stories. Here's a good one. Right? So I remember playing an event at Burnham and Barrow, which is a 
at Somerset Way. Really, really nice, nice, nice course. And I went up there, prepared well, stayed in the hotel the night before, did my practice round, my yardage book. I was really well prepared. And um, I shot one under, and I was, which was really good for me. And I was ecstatic. I thought, oh, good, like top five finish. Like it was quite a tough, tough, really tough conditions. Um, and I'm thinking, God, yeah, I'm going to earn a check. I remember driving home, you used to get a text message to tell you what, what place you'd finished. And then uh, under it, it'd be like how much, how much money you won. And I remember getting this text message and it said, well done, you've finished tied fifth. You've won 206 pounds. I think, 206 pounds, brilliant. God, God, I can't even think how I'm going to spend that. Like, how much money? Loads of money. <laughs> I remember I was driving along thinking my hotel was what, 70 quid, petrol, dinner last night. I'm about 30 quid up. <laughs> thinking, literally, I've gone from ecstatic to win, especially probably one of my first checks as well. One minute you're ecstatic that you've, you've done well and picked up a few quid. And then you think, God, I can't live like that. And then it was almost like I went from really happy to like, oh, uh, that's actually this is this is not how I want to live. Like, yeah, uh, it was quite surreal. I, I always remember that, and I tell people that story quite often. Yeah, and and I think it's I think there's there's also sort of a couple of elements to that I think that that's like a this has dawned on me that this isn't financially viable anymore, and it's I, I'm I'm good, but I'm not quite good enough to go to the next stage, and I've got to you know I think young families come into it and things like that. I've got to make a a sensible choice. Then you get the um, people that have to go and work in the pro shop while still chasing the dream to subsidize um you know to earn a weekly wage and they just look absolutely miserable don't want to do it just want to be out practicing uh playing in tournaments and and just want to get out of there and then you get the golf coaches that have got to go into the pro shop as well and they'd give up their hours non-stop to try and get more hours on the range coaching so i think that there's there's three different levels of it and i think i think that the trouble is is that there is that kind of stigma yeah. about like you're only in here because you didn't make it on tour. Do you know what I mean? And and we and we you said that earlier yourself. Like you know, I think a lot of coaches are failed players, and I think that once people can clear that out of their heads, actually, no, the reason I was a very good player and I probably could have made it if I'd stayed for another five years and, and not done anything else. But I've made a sensible decision to go into golf coaching. Did you think that maybe builds up a respect and then you build a respect for yourself? And I, I don't quite know where I'm going with the question, but different approach to it. I think so. I think so. I think look, I think if I was honest, deep down, I've, if I admitted to myself, I'd always probably, I'll probably end up doing my PGA, doing my coaching. Like I haven't really, I haven't mentioned this yet, but I obviously I grew up playing at West Essex, and like Ollie Fisher was, you know, he was ranked world number one amateur, yeah. whilst, um, you know, whilst we were juniors, and like, <laughs> like that was kind of like a massive benchmark and uh, don't get me wrong I, I gave him a, a good game a few times like well, more than a few times I beat him a few times but it wasn't often and like that was kind of like always like look at look where he is look where I am I, I suppose in the back of my mind I always thought like I'll probably end up where I'm, where I'm doing now yeah yeah and and it's interesting I think Ollie Fisher is, is a brilliant example of this right because I, I listened to a podcast he did with Sky I don't know maybe during the lockdown or, or maybe before that that 
he was kind of recounting his 59. He was recounting kind of his his yeah. his amateur days of playing with Rory in Orlando and things like that. And um, you know, and then you see him now, and and you know, let's be frank about it. He he's been struggling for for a long time on tour. I don't think he'll mind us saying that. I think he's quite yeah. honest with himself about it as well. So you see the level that he was at as a youngster, how much better he was than yourself, how much better he was than pretty much everyone at his age group or whatever. And yet, when he's got out on tour, I know he's obviously won, he's shot 59 in professional tournament, etc. But he's had a, a long, long time of, of struggling, and it's only because of what the prior success that he's had that he's been able to carry it on for as long as he had, I guess. Yeah. He, um, I'm quite optimistic for Ollie, to be honest, at the moment. I feel he's turned a bit... I was speaking to him quite a bit lately. I think he's turned a corner in his... Um, in his game, I feel like he's working on some good stuff. I'm hoping he'll uh, he'll play well to start of the season. He, how, um, how much? Oh, sorry to, to jump in there. How much do you think of it with him? Is you know, if you were a golf coach, and I don't know if he's ever asked you to look at his swing or if you have looked at his swing voluntarily. How much of it is technical, and how much is it that he's getting in his own head because he hasn't reached the expectations he's probably put on himself as much as everyone else has on him? It's, it's probably a bit of both. I think. Um, like he's had some really good coaches, but I don't think the stuff that they've they've asked him to do works for him. Yeah. Um. I feel like he probably played his best golf uh, when he was with his original coach, Chris. Um. I feel like some of the stuff he's he's working on now is he, he, more relatable to that. And that's why I'm a, I'm quite optimistic about him him doing well doing well this year. And I think if you look at Ollie, I think he's actually played his best golf when. You know the chips are down, and he's he needs to pull something out of the bag. I mean, the amount of times it's a bit of a running joke at the golf club, but that the one of the last events of the year he's in Portugal, and a few of the lads always go out and watch him. And like I think it's I think it's like three occasions he's had to finish in the top twelve or whatever to keep his card. He's he's done it every time. I think one he, I think he did it with sixty four in the last round, uh, like four or five years yeah, ago. Yeah. So he, when he has to, he plays well. It's um he's. Which is like you've got to admire that. But um, yeah, you know, like I say, I'm optimistic for him in the next. Uh, I think he's he's getting his game back. That's good. No, it's good to hear. And obviously, we we wish Holly well. And it was just good to get. I think he's a good measuring stick. Do you know what I mean? Of you know, oh, gotcha. we mentioned we mentioned Tommy Fleetwood, and and he goes to a different stratosphere altogether. And but then it's interesting to see what the fine margins in between Ollie Fisher and Tommy Fleetwood. Do you know what I mean? Like we see so many golfers at the moment that have career years out of nowhere and it could just be a simple fix i was listening to i don't know if you've heard about this ross but seamus power did a podcast uh fit for golf the other uh you know in december and he you'll understand it 10 times more than i will he was talking about a swing change that he was he thought he had to make based on the numbers he was looking at on TrackMan, and it wasn't really following the ball because he was just purely looking at numbers and then when he decided to ditch his TrackMan for a gc quad that had less numbers on it i guess he kind of actually realised that he was making a completely wrong change. And all of a sudden, he's kicked right on. And I guess that's easy to say when you're now playing well. But how fine... I guess, you know, that that's... Because me and Jason have spoken about it a few times on, in terms of watching people for betting purposes. But you lose kind of whole years, I think, by making swing changes. And especially when you're on tour, because you've got between kind of Monday and Wednesday before you've got to get going again. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that that somehow, you know, you, lots some, it works. So you've got some plans. You've got to think, actually, what you do works. Why are you trying to change it? Why, why, don't, you yeah. just, why don't you just try and become really good at, you know, a really good version of what, what you are? I mean, you can always try and improve here and there and make at least like 
1% changes, whatnot, but like, do feel like some, some lads are trying to, you know, just do it for the sake of it. I think, you know, I think, I think the Trackmans and the GC, uh, my friend of mine is the rep, Steve Jones, like, I think they're dangerous in the wrong hands. I think yeah. they're, I think they're becoming, like, I've got a Trackman. Um, I was excited about getting it. I would say it's an expensive doorstop at the moment. <laughs> I'm not you. I use it. I reckon. I do. Uh, I reckon I'm this week. I think I've got like 30 plus sessions. I'll probably use it three times this week. I reckon. I've used I it. Think, I used it once today. I think the thing with Trackman, there's two things. Is one, you've got to really understand what it is that you're looking at to convey that to to the client or to the player. Um, which I'm sure you do, and I'm sure there's courses that you go on to, to understand the numbers, etc., and a general golfer knowledge would understand it anyway. But if the person you're telling those numbers to doesn't know the information you're telling them, it's almost like a vanity thing. I imagine you probably have bookings because you have a track man. Yeah. Like, I yeah. want to come on the track man and use it. And when you get there, oh, you say, yeah, go on. Mm. Like, how, how many people just go, I just want to see this number, and they don't even know what they're actually looking at. They're just booking it because... It's a cool thing to do yeah. to go and put yourselves on track, man. I mean, I remember when I first started coaching, it was all about camera. Hmm. I remember they ringing me up and saying, um, I want to book book with you and whatnot. Um, you got you got a camera? Do you use camera? I want to see it. <laughs> I went, I felt like saying to him, why would you want to see it? You, you wouldn't even know what to do. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what you're looking nah. for. Now you get that with, with track, man. I want to see my numbers. Ah. Uh, Again, like, I'll go back to us. I, I think they're dangerous in the wrong hands. My, I think TrackMan is fantastic. Is a fantastic performance tool for the ball. Yeah. Not for the golf club. That makes I, sense. I, I have it on and I, and someone says to me, "I want to know how far that goes." Bump, it goes straight on. Like the club details. I mean, I think it does more harm than good. Yeah. No, I completely understand. I think. I think, like you say, I think it's one of those things that the real top pros need it, and 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 the real top coaches need it, and and you could make use of it. But the the, the you know the, the average golfer that comes along doesn't need a top tracer to no. to improve themselves, do they? A top tracer, a track man, sorry. Um, Jace, I think you're going to jump in with a point there. Uh, no, I was going to say about David Halsey, who we interviewed last year, saying yeah. you know when, before we went into lockdown, he was on a appalling run. Um, and he, he mentioned the fact that he was changing various bits in his swing. As you say, Ross, it's like 1%. Whether your clients understand that 1% over a month or whatever is still a, is still a, good, is still a good thing. Um, and he was saying that, obviously, like you just said, you're on tour, you finish on Sunday, if you're lucky, you jump on a plane, you work out what hotel you're going to on the Monday, Tuesday, you play your pro-am, and there's never that time to, to actually, in effect, change anything or practice anything. And yeah. that's why the, you know, that's why you're missing cuts for for the next three months. And as soon as lockdown came in, obviously, like everybody, Horsey was out, you know, practicing at home, obviously because yeah. he didn't break any didn't break any rules or anything. Um, and came back, and it was perfect. And it's because he had that elongated time in which to whatever his coach had told him to do, just make those changes and actually practice them and see what was happening. So, so like you say, yeah. You know, you go back to, I mean, I've got horses thing up here and I had um, Ollie Fisher's up here as well. You know, if they're working on something, they're playing every week, you're not going to see it. But if they get that little break, you know, hopefully they come back and, and see. I, I was going to say, the professionals understand that. 
clearly yeah. they get paid. It doesn't matter. What about your average Joe who comes to you, who, who maybe is shooting 120 every week? Um, people expect things quite quickly, don't they? Um, but yeah. you're 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 looking at yesterday. Change. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, do, do you, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, come to you and they'll and like you say. I know you're always asking for people. We're in, anyway, whatever we do outside of this, um, you're always requesting that you 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 know you're getting people that socialise on the golf course and improve their game. And you must get people that are shooting 120 coming to you and going, I've got a really important business event in two weeks' time. Um, you know, what can you do for me? I had a fellow uh, in the summer, no lie, it was a Thursday, I always remember this. He said, um, I'm playing tomorrow in a, in a golf day. <laughs> right, okay. So, you know, I'm playing with a, a big punter tomorrow. I, I said, all right, so how long, um, what, tomorrow you say? Said, yeah, I went, like, have you been playing lately? He goes, oh, I've never played before. <laughs> I went, oh, right, okay, blimey. Like, not even as a kid. And he was like, no, no. What can you do? I said, um, my ne- for some reason, my next question was, where- I said, where are you playing? And he said, the Grove. <laughs> uh, bless him. And I said, uh, I got it. We, we did okay. But, like, obviously, I-, I wouldn't imagine it went brilliantly. But it was, it was classic. Yeah, you, you get you get people with you know, completely different goals and you know, expectation. You know, like some people just, you know, they're happy if you, you slice the ball 10 yards less. Yeah. <laughs> some, some people expect you to work miracles. It's, um, you got, it balances out, but um, you, do, you, do get, um, you do get different uh, goals and perspective a bit, that's for sure. Do you see an uptick now Ross, in people like we just mentioned the, the trackman numbers that just want to get faster and just hit it longer, and they don't really care what else. They just they just want to hit the driver further because obviously there's there's a lot of gym work that goes into that, and and you know swing sort of you know training and all that sort of stuff on top of just actually being able to make connection with the ball solidly. Yeah, there's there's definitely a culture of that in the game for sure. Um, is it good? Um... I don't see why not. I don't think that's. Um, yeah. I mean, Deshambo's moving the goalposts or has moved the goalposts with that. Um, no, I, I quite like it. I think it's. I think it's different. I think the game is evolving in different directions. If you like, the game. you still get you still get people that are mad keen golfers that want to um, control the ball, hit the ball in a good, you know, good, good with good contact, good direction. You know. Good course management, but yeah, you, you you are getting more and more lads now, especially younger lads. I just think, right, let's, let's give us the big stick. Yeah, right, which I, which I think is a good appetite for it. And I think that the other thing I've kind of heard, and you'll, you'll be able to speak on this a bit better than I would, but the if you train yourself to get to a certain ball speed or clubhead speed, and that's not necessarily what you're going to go out and play with. It's just that if you can get to that at your very best that when you get out on the golf course what you did before is is almost slightly easier and you can control that better and yeah. you know you can average out and get close to that without actually putting too much effort in i think most guys are when they're on the golf course it's more like 90 percent of what they yeah. can um they can do on, on the range really yeah oh, that makes sense to me a couple of things i, I wanted to ask before we let you get out of here ross i know it's, uh, it's later in the evening but i'm enjoying it um first one i thought was in terms of involve evolvement of golf lessons, so obviously we've spoken about 
going right back to people wanting to go on camera, going right back to communicating between different golf coaches through WhatsApp, voice notes, etc., filming on an iPad. I don't know if this is something you do. I don't. I haven't noticed that you do, so correct me if I'm wrong. But like online lessons and people just literally, um, you know, sending in a swing and you, and you sending it back to them with, with comments on that. Is that something that you do? And is that something that you would look to do in the future? I don't do it. I'm looking into it. I must say. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm a bit old school, but for me, there's nothing like seeing the ball. Um, yeah. I know technology communication is is through the roof now. You could, you know, you can. You know, there's a lad I coach is in Dubai at the minute practicing you know he, he did a whatsapp video call on the, in the ranch <laughs> and uh, i can see what the ball's i can see what the ball's doing to a certain degree so yeah. it can get by but um yes it's something i'm i'm looking into that for sure the um you know, i use you know, like, you know i'm i use my own game as like uh i'm a bit of a guinea pig now the um yeah. but obviously i want to still improve i played seven rounds of golf last year which was shameful in my opinion mm. So I want to play more. And one of my goals is actually to play more. So I, I work at my game a little bit. I've got a guy uh, who helps me a little bit um, and helps me with my coaching as well. He's he's amazing. Um, Andy Trainer, who's based in, in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Uh, with, he's with Plain Truth Golf. Um, he's um, he's exceptional, which is uh, which is good for me. Yeah. And do you think, because so, cause the, the reason I asked about that or not, so my so my dad was someone that, he, he had the traditional golf lessons, we had both had traditional golf lessons together, uh, with the same coach, but he said that he, he actually, we scrapped those with that coach, uh, you know, travel was a bit too much where we were going and stuff like that, and he was just literally just sending in these videos to a guy in America, and, and literally he was just, you got one lesson every fortnight or once a month, whatever it was, um, and, and he would send it in, and he just, just took off with that like he was absolutely fine with it and i think it's just such a different like like i said you earlier from me like there's there's nothing it's not worth it for me because i just wouldn't be able to respond to what they do but i think do you think there's going to be a point where if you don't do something like that and don't offer that that you will just get left behind possibly yeah possibly i think yeah it's all it's all individual i think they'll you'll never lose the market for someone who wants to you know come and see you and watch you you actually see the ball and whatnot yeah You'll never lose that market, but I'm definitely looking into it. That's for sure. Yeah, Ross, cool, can, I, can I just pick you up on something earlier, mate? Cool. Um, sorry, you, you, so, and absolutely, I'm not, you know, you know far more what we're talking about. But you said Andy Trainer is exceptional. What makes him exceptional as opposed to bog standard coach? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I've been lucky. Like, I've, I've had some real good coaches over the years, but Andy, hands down, is, is the best. He, he's helped me out. I would say even like those good good ones, you'd always be like, I don't know, is that? I don't know if that's right. Like you you'd you'd wing it with them a little bit, like you would, you know, you wouldn't maybe say that to them. But I've always had lots of unanswered questions, and he's he's answered the majority of them, all of them. He's uh he's exceptional. He um yeah, I would what he doesn't know, I would say, isn't worth knowing. And it's uh I'm lucky to have someone like him who's uh. It's a shame he's in Texas. He was literally in Chingford, like down the road to me, but he's moved out to to, to Dallas, which is a, which is quite a big career move. But I I think that um, I think this, it's interesting what you said there, that you've had no unanswered questions from him, and you, this is someone. So this is you that that plays to a professional standard that can shoot very good scores, and, and you're sitting there thinking you need to ask questions about what they're doing and, and what they're leaving out and things like that. And I think there's 
and I don't know if it's true of people that you've met or worked with or whatever, I think there's a certain arrogance with some golf pros that, like, if someone questioned them, if I was to say, why are we doing that? I've had responses like, well, that's just what you need to do to get better. <laughs> and it's like, no, but I need to, I, I actually need to understand what it is that you're changing. I don't, I don't, I don't just yeah. respond to you saying, yeah, just do this because it'll make you better. And I think, I don't know if that's, I don't know, is that is that stem coming from a, let's simplify it for you, don't ask questions because it'll confuse you, or that is a, don't a, question me because I know more than you. A little bit. I mean, I'll be honest, sometimes people ask me questions and I I, I don't know all the answers. I'm not quite <laughs> know them all. Um, yeah. I remember being, I remember saying that to someone. I remember I said something like, I'm, do you know what, I, I don't know, but I will make that my business to find out. And I, yeah. and I looked it up and I did a bit of my research. I asked different people with different questions and I found the answer and he said you know I've been I've had lessons with loads of golf pros and he said that really impressed me what he did because he didn't bullshit me he didn't say you know just do it just listen to what I'm saying he said you know that, that was I really respected that in fact yeah. you, I was honest and said actually I don't know but we'll find out it, um got me some brownie points uh, but, but that is all I ever want from someone, right? Like, if 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 someone said to me, like, okay, and and it might even it might not even be to the fact that you need to go away and learn something. It might be that, right? I've told you this. In, instinctively, I know that you need to do this. I don't know quite how to explain it to you, but this is what you want to do, and I will try and find a way to explain it to you in in the video message afterwards or whatever. That is absolutely fine. It's the ones that just go just do it because I told you to. And I think there is a little bit of a stigma of that. And that's someone that either, yeah. like you say, doesn't doesn't know the answer and doesn't want to expose themselves or just generally doesn't care. I think there's probably some golf pros out there that have been doing it for 30, 40 years that have lost the appetite and just and just yeah. want to get on to the next session. Um, and that's dangerous as well. I think that in whatever you're doing, like, you never stop learning, can you? I mean, no. there's no shame in saying you don't know sometimes. As long as you... Um, I think some... I'll elaborate a little bit. Like some individuals, yeah, you know, like that, they get it. Some, yeah. You know, I've sometimes I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall with some people. That'd be me and Jason, yeah. <laughs> like I always think, like on a whole, that sometimes even just like one move, it might take, it might take one ball to get it. It might, it might take a thousand balls, but you should be able to. Um, yeah, don't be. I mean, I've never been worried about saying someone. Oh, you know, I don't know, but we'll. I'll definitely find that out for you. Yeah. In terms of personal growth, growth Ross, what? Obviously, you're at Chingford Golf Centre. Is that is that right? That, yeah. That, that's that's where you are. Yep. Yeah. Uh, on the east, like East London, it's got an East London postcode. It's um, in like uh, Epping Forest area. So no, it's a good place. Yep. Yep. I'm enjoying it. I was at Chapel Heath. I worked for, for Cranfield Golf for for seven years. Um, took the jump over to to Chingford two years ago, just before COVID. Okay. Literally three weeks before the first lockdown. And and what is the what's the path now for you? Like, is it is it in terms of you know you're an independent coach there? I guess that that's kind of your your own academy. Or what is the next step for you? And where do you think you could take Ross Spurgeon's golf? I mean, I, I'd love to. Um, I think sometimes people say I want to get players on tours and that. I mean. Yeah, I'd love to do that. I would like to keep growing. Um, I feel like I'm on a good a good path at the moment. I mean, there's, I don't think there's any. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't answer the question. <laughs> but 
like to yeah, I'd like to keep keep growing, keep helping people in enjoy playing golf. People help people improve and go from there. I'd like to I like coaching better players and maybe getting a few players on tour and whatnot. I think do I, do I see myself at Chingford for a lot? Yeah, I do see myself at, at Chingford for a long time. I think it's a good facility, great location. Um, in like the hub of where I uh, I grew up playing, which is is definitely handy. Yeah. Do you think there's also that element we, we spoke about professional golf and and chasing that dream for a length of time and maybe just being playing the right round at the right time and getting on you know getting a tour start and playing well in it and parlaying that into success or whatever. This hypothetical situation: a tour player calls you up that you, you know one of the players you've mentioned you grew up with calls you up and just says, "Ross, come look at my swing." And they invite you down to the golf range at a local tournament, let's say down at the Grove or something like that, British Masters or whatever. And someone sees you on the on the range, sees what you did, liked it, and and they ask you for it. Is, is that something that always sits in the back of your head, or do you just not even allow yourself to think that sort of thing? No, no, I'd love that. That, that I suppose, yeah, to answer your question, that that would be um, that would be great. That'd be like that would be a dream come true. To, yeah, to coach at the highest level, I think. And um, I'm not. I'm not gonna. You know, I'm confident enough to to sit here and say oh, I think I'll get there one day as well, which is um, definitely in the back of my mind. Because because that's that's the thing for me was, and that was gonna be my next question. So I'm glad you said that. Is that like if Ollie Fisher rung you up tomorrow and said, Ross, I need help. Like I've just sacked off the last golf coach. Like I've, I'm in a I'm in bits. Like can you look at my swing? Would you, you you'd go full steam ahead, be really confident in that, and and believe in what you do and, and go from there yeah I, I think I think I would definitely yeah, I'd, I'd 100% um, so I can help him definitely yeah that's good I think that's I think that's good because if you'd have said no then then there's there's a lack of belief in your skill set uh, do you know what I mean and I, th- I think yeah. that's a really important thing to have no I could I could, I feel like I could help anyone to be honest the um, yeah but like I've got a good team around me as well that can help me get to the right answers as well not just Andy but I like you know people I speak to about how the, how the body moves and the comp, like the compensations that might be going on in someone's swing I've got a, I feel like I'm building a good a good team around me which is which is you need you can't do it all on your own yeah. no and, and that, that's another I guess another evolution right is that it's not just a golf swing anymore like I imagine you can get everyone to hit their p1 p2 whatever positions and, and, and all that sort of thing it's it's how X person compensates because their hip doesn't allow them to move or, you know, the mobility issues of a certain golfer, or even a professional golfer of a certain age or someone who's battling injuries. Like, you have to know how to deal with all of that. Um, I remember people talking about stack and tilt causing back issues and things like that. Like, there's so much more to learn about mobility and fitness and, yeah. and everyone kind of labels it as, oh, everyone's just in a gym now. And I don't think it is that. I think it's just an evolution of the golf swing in general. Absolutely, the um, the game is just completely evolved, isn't it? I mean, you think back, like I remember watching golf as a kid, and my dad telling me the story, like Brian Barnes marking his ball with a Stella can in the Ryder Cup. You know? <laughs> just that wouldn't happen now, would it? I mean, no. like, I'd imagine they have a bit, they let their hair down, they have a drink in that, but I, don't, I can't imagine them drinking and doing, you know, yeah, drinking on on tournament week or whatnot. Well, they've got to have these whoop bands on now, haven't they, to make sure that they're getting the right sleep and things like that. So there's so much that goes into excellence that 
But I think you probably, like we spoke about with the with the the American colleges, I think you probably would have been on an early wave if you'd gone over and done that. I think they were probably picking up on that earlier and performance and peaking at the right times, etc., without actually having technologies back it up. Yeah. Um, sorry, just say that again. I'll cut that. I think we cut out a little bit there. So I was just saying that they've obviously... scored. Yeah. Go on, go on. <laughs> I was just saying that the. I think that the American colleges kind of were probably on to those kind of peak performances and and getting up at the right time, uh, eating healthily, I think mobility. Ahead of their time in America, to be honest, I think yeah. they're definitely ahead of their time. The way they, even like the yeah the coaching and everything, they're well ahead of their time. Yeah, that that was that's how I sort of summarise that. Um, Jason, anything for for Ross before we let him go off and watch the end of the Tottenham match? Yeah, sorry. Right, one one question quickly. <laughs> um, I mean, oh, Ross, cheers. Thanks very much. Fantastic insight. I cut off earlier, so I don't know what my answer was. So I'll have to listen back to the answer to the question that I asked. Well, I crashed. But apart from Colin Samuels, right, what would be your ideal four ball? <laughs> Colin's totally yeah, <laughs> <laughs> My dream four ball. That's it. All golfers. Toby Tree, we interviewed Toby Tree and he, and he gave us three golfers and an actress, so you can have who you like. My, oh, that's a good question. My dad, my dad would be in my four ball. Tiger Woods and Seve Ballesteros. Yeah, that's not a bad little four ball there, is it, Jason? That's lovely. He didn't, he didn't say you, that's what you're, that's what you're angling no, for. No, 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 I thought, no, it's, it's interesting <laughs> to see what people, you know, what people want to do, because you've got to spend four and a half hours with them, haven't you, at the end of the day? Yeah. So, no, I think, um, yeah, Chevy, Tiger Woods, and my dad would be my four ball. I mean, hopefully, hopefully I'll get drawn with Chevy or Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing that. Right, Russ, we're gonna we're gonna let you get out of here. Um, really appreciate the insight. I think it was great to to kind of learn more about one just coaching at you know the the, the club level, um, coaching you know developing talent. Um, the difference between, you know, being a golf coach and being a touring professional, how fine the margins are, you know, and, and you know, when those decisions are made. And I think you gave us great insight into that. Um, I don't think this will be the last time we speak. I think it was great to have you on. Um, give us where, and we spoke about it earlier, but where people can find you for golf lessons, how they can contact you and the best way to uh, get hold of you. So I'm based at uh, Chingford Golf Range, uh, which is obviously, like I said, on the, in Epping Forest in East London border. Um, get me on Instagram it's at Spurgeon Golf. Uh, sorry, Spurgeon underscore Golf, um, or my email is Ross at SpurgeonGolf.co.uk. Yep, excellent. We'll put all of those in the link description as well for everyone. We'll tweet that out, share it on Instagram, Excellent. and uh, yeah, contact Ross, and uh, he will Excellent. be able to help you with your game. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me Thank on. Thank you, mate.